Assalamualaikum warahmatullah and welcome to the program Tawheed and the Creation exploring the book The Essentials of Tawheed book 3 in a series authored by Bilisari Mani uh, and uh, Bilisari joins me online once again Bilisari Assalamualaikum Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Muhammad Fasih It's great to be back with you and uh, greetings to all the listeners out there Alhamdulillah, it's a pleasure having Bilisari with us and I think a long break, a long gap uh, that we've had to reflect upon uh, just some of the things that were mentioned, some of the aspects that were covered in the uh, previous programs. But of course, tonight we'll be delving into Tawheed once again uh, and expanding a little bit further. I think the last time we left off, we were reflecting upon the understanding of uh, Tawheed in its nature. And uh, we want to maybe just revisit some of the concepts that we uh, had explained last week, but we also want to look at our existence as man and uh, our purpose uh, on the studio, inshallah. So that's what we're going to be doing. And you're welcome to get a copy of the book, The Essentials of Tawheed. You can download it on www.tasadimani.co.za and you can download the PDF copy of the book, inshallah. But, uh, but Asadi, so this evening, if we just uh, maybe go back to looking at perhaps some of the things that we discussed in previous shows, and uh, we started off talking about Tawheed in terms of the essence of what it is. Um, and I just want to go back there, maybe for people who are tuning in for the first time, or perhaps didn't grasp the concept if we maybe went a little bit too far. Can we maybe just explain in a nutshell, what exactly is being referred to when we speak about Tawheed? Tawheed, when we talk about the subject of Tawheed, we're talking about the science or the area of learning that essentially concentrates and focuses on the unity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we say the unity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we are in fact talking about not only that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is utterly and completely unique in every respect, with respect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's essence. And when we talk about the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Arabic word is the that, the essence, which refers to the actual divine being itself, um, that not only is that divine being unique and one and there's no one else other than that as our creator, but everything associated in the way that we describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like his sifat, his beautiful names and his actions, all of those things are one. There's nothing that ever compares to anything about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, in order to fully understand what this truly means, we have to, and this is what the scholars have, have led us and laid the basis for how we should proceed, is to understand 
the 20 sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the 20 sifat in fact takes us into a position where we get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as best as we can and in the process we are able to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just on that point, when we talk about the 20 sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we talk about the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're not talking about it in the way that we can quantify, that we can say, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, we're saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all seeing, all hearing, and so we can imagine what that is supposed to be, but rather that these are concepts for us to get an idea, for us to make sense of just uh, in our human ability uh, around the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, Muhammad Fasih, we learn through our five senses. We've made this point previously and I'm making it mm-hmm. again. Our five senses is the basic method of how we gather and accrue and pursue knowledge. In other words, the five senses, we're talking about our hearing, our sight, our taste, our smell. Uh, and our touch, and of course the brain. Because all of this information that we get through the five senses ultimately goes to the brain, and that develops the concepts that we have. Now, if we talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unseen. Now, when, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to us as believers, the one thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, clarifies and almost qualifies who the believers are, Allah refers to to those who believe in the unseen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely non-visible to the human eye. And therefore, to get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's absolutely crucial for us to understand who Allah is. But if Allah is unseen, how can we get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah guides us. Allah created us. Allah knew exactly what we are able to understand and not understand, who will be clever, who will be not so clever, who will be exposed to very, very advanced forms of learning and others perhaps be not so fortunate. Allah has created every single person. So what Allah has done is to show us and point to us how we should do it. And how we should do it is, Allah says in the Holy Quran, by looking at the heavens and the earth and within ourselves. So in other words, Allah uses what Allah has created as a means for us to get to know who who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. So looking at everything around us and understanding our environment, the universe, our bodies, and all of those things, we should actually see how great the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And by marveling at the greatness of the creation, then the creator must be even more marvelous and more awesome and more majestic than anything that is actually known and even unknown to us uh, in creation. So one of the methods that we have used in this program and in the book is to actually look at creation, look at that, but not, you see, we, we can gather information, Muhammad uh, Fasif, for several reasons that might not necessarily take us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I could so easily have written this or presented in a way 
to dazzle people with, with, with facts and information to show how much uh, I know about this. So I dazzled them with the facts. And, and how, what does that do to their, to their iman and their tak- taqwa and drawing them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So if one does it for the wrong reasons, then knowledge can be an obstacle to get closer to Allah. Knowledge can lead to one becoming arrogant and <laughs> proud uh, that you know this and you know that as compared to other people and forgetting that it actually all comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So to bring the point back to where, uh, to your question, we have to look at the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs us to look at, and that is what is out there in creation, both above, below, and within ourselves, and then see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hand at work in everything around us. And then we get, so when we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's all-powerful, for example, and we look at the sifat of power, how it manifests itself in the universe and in the material world, then it gives us a glimpse, just a slight glimpse of how really, truly great Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power is. So what we are trying to do is link the way we are going to deal with this topic of Tawheed when we look at the sifat is to look at practical examples around us to make it easier for us to breach this gap of what is not visible for us as human beings. So I, in a sense, want to, to pause there and hear what you f- believe would be the next best step then for us to proceed from here, considering we did touch on some of this, but I just want to emphasize that even if we went through this and we understood it and we still understand it, then repeating things about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can only be a blessing. It's not a waste. Most definitely, Bilisari. And when we come back from the break, I'd like to maybe just uh, then touch on the idea of uh, the man being created and what the purpose of man is. And I think this is an important question. There are many philosophers, there are many people uh, who've written books and have pondered upon the question, you know, why have I been created? And that's not just unique to Muslims. It's all religious denominations, uh, even people who, who might be atheistic, they ask the question, why am I here? Why am I on this planet? Why do I exist? And so we'll talk about that, inshallah, after the break. This is the program, Tawheed and the Creation, exploring the book, The Essentials of Tawheed, authored by Bilasari Mani. Inshallah, when we return, we'll continue. La hawla wa la quwwata illa Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome back to the program Tawheed and the Creation, exploring the book The Essentials of Tawheed with uh, Bidasali Mani. And uh, now we want to just reflect on, I think, the biggest question that uh, sits in the center, I think, of everyone's thoughts when people become conscious of their existence. Uh, they'll ask the question, why do I exist? 
why am I here? We do understand how we came to being in terms of, you know, how we were born. We uh, were born, everyone was born in the natural way. Uh, so there is no confusion around that. But the question about why am I as an individual, as a, a person with an intellect, as a person, as an entity, why do I exist? And uh, the, the question that Muslims ask is, uh, why have I been created? And I think this is quite a big question and something that, uh, uh, but if we really start to reflect on, it gives us an idea of just the enormity of the question itself. Yes, Muhammad Fasih, if we understand this question correctly, there's two things. The one is that we can understand it logically and with our brains. But if this true meaning of why we have been created falls on the spiritual heart, then we unlock doors that opens up the meaning of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us. Now, this is not a question that has not been answered. We have asked the question, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, before we were even created, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already told us what the reason for our creation is. And Allah revealed that to us in, through, in the Quran, um, verse 51, 56, Allah said, and I quote, I have not created men and jinn except that they should serve, brackets, worship me. Now, most Muslims know because they've asked the question and then the answer that they get is what Allah says in the Quran with not, too much explanation around it. We basically say, uh, we are basically told we have been created to worship Allah. Now, if we look at that and we leave it only at that, then there could be the understanding or the misunderstanding rather that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the supreme being created us as human beings because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to be worshipped. Now that is a very, 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 uh, not just tricky understanding, but it's a totally incorrect understanding. Because even if we just think that, that Allah needs our ibadah, we must do it uh, uh, because Allah, Allah needs it, Allah wants it because Allah needs it. That is a very, very dangerous way of believing. And we must... If we ever fall in that trap or we've fallen in that trap, we must immediately move away from that. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in need of absolutely nothing. Why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not in need of our ibadah? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is utterly and totally perfect in every sense that we can describe perfection. Nothing can be added to the already perfect state of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing can be altered or modified. Nothing can be subtracted. Um, the perfection is utterly and, and, and beyond any impact of anything that is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So creation can never impact on the total and utter perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So where does Ibadah fit in? So when we talk about ibadah, let's talk about the normal way we understand ibadah, and that is to make salah and to make dhikr and remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah is not in need, 
of whatever we are doing, then it must be clear to us that that must be a potential benefit and a blessing for us. Now, if you look at how we make ibadah, <laughs> uh, we make salah, uh, we sit uh, for a few minutes extra afterwards to make so many tasbih of this or that, we've done it, we've done the numbers. So we say, I want to sit and make a hundred of that and a hundred of that and a hundred of that. That is supposed to be of benefit to you. It shouldn't be that you have taken something handed over to Allah and now you walk away. You should actually have benefited from the very act of ibadah. Every time that we make salah or we do something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs us to do, then we should actually have benefited from that. And I include myself in this. So many of us, we fall completely flat when it comes to the question of benefiting from our ibadah. And it's something that we, we, we should actually go back to the drawing board on. Because to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to submit ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as our Lord, as our Master, doesn't benefit Allah. Let me just say why it doesn't benefit Allah. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did benefit, let's, let's assume now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did benefit, brackets, no? <laughs> or inverted commas, um, then it would mean that the benefit that accrues to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is dependent on creation. So in other words, creation can determine how much benefit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets or does not get. Astaghfirullah, may Allah protect us from even thinking like that. So Amen. therefore, Allah is totally above the effects of our good deeds or our bad deeds. Um, and our good deeds, bad deeds, we'll come to that at some point down the line. But for now, uh, we should understand that our deeds should be our ibadah should be that it benefits us. Which brings me to the second part of why we have been created. Now the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the saints, the prophets, their understanding of ibadah was to strive to know Allah. That it's a path of not only following what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instructed us to do at the basic level, of Islam, you know, fasting and, and, and making salah and so on, but to actually embark on a process of getting to know who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. These people uh, are referred to as the Arifin, the knowers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, in that process of getting to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we get the true benefits of our ibadah, then the floodgates of mercy and barakah and rahmah and nur descends in abundance on the hearts of those people who have actually reached that point of the way they make ibadah. And that blessing then becomes so obvious to people that they truly see why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them or us, created us so that we can actually experience that true ecstasy of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. Bilasani, um, I think just, just to pause for a moment on ibadah. So what Bilasani is saying then is when we look at ibadah and we have this idea that I'm going to make 
a hundred astaghfirullah or hundred la ilaha illallah. I'm going to make so much dhikr. And we're saying obviously that there's, there's merit and there's benefit and we should be praising Allah. Most definitely we should. But when we are doing these these acts, in a sense, uh, we are making the dhikrullah or we're performing nafal salah or we're doing other things, that there is no benefit that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to get from that. Allah is not affected by it in any way, neither in a positive way nor a negative way, but rather that the benefit is for us to purify ourselves, in a sense, for us to be able to take what, what we are doing as a means to gain that closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to uh, be able to perform our salah with the idea that it's a step each salah, each dhikr is a step towards closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather than uh, I'm giving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due, in a sense, or I'm giving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a gift uh, of my ibadah. Yeah. Subhanallah, Muhammad Fasir, so well said. Um, because if we understand what you've just said now, and the way you've summarized that point, then we will understand that an opportunity is given to us to purify ourselves. And when we say purify, we have to uh, 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 maybe just press pause on, on, on the point and say purify what? We said we cannot know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or let me say this, we can never ever know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with our brains only. Our brains have been limited it's not been created to experience the unseen. The brain is a logical instrument that reacts and responds to the stimulus that comes via the, the five senses, and then the body responds in a particular way. But it is the spiritual heart with which we can experience and get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So every act, whether it is the normal salah, and the dhikrullah that we do, the remembrance of, of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the first point to make is everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instructed us to do has a certain amount of barakah. The act itself, whether you do it with the proper attention and concentration and sincerity, doesn't detract from the fact that if you are doing and carrying out what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instructed us to do, for example, the salah or the fast, then there's barakah in the act itself. The more sincere you become in what you are doing, the more you benefit. And how do you benefit? You benefit by your heart becoming more purified. Now, when we say purified, it's, uh, it sounds like a, almost an abstract term. But if we can use the example of a person in a dark room uh, or, or a dark house, all the windows and the doors are closed. You're in utter and total darkness. Then somebody draws the curtain a bit and the light shines through. Suddenly, a certain amount of what was not visible becomes visible to you. And when you draw the curtain completely and you open the doors as well, then the light starts flooding in and it dispels all the darkness. Now, the darkness can be compared to ignorance, to disobedience, and it's 
the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we, we do our ibadah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes the veils of darkness so that the nur of the activity that we are doing can fill the heart and the heart becomes more purified. It dispels all those negative and bad qualities that we have pumped into our hearts over the years. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Uh, the voice of Buddha Salimani. This is the program Tawheed and the Creation. This evening, we are looking at book three, The Essentials of Tawheed, authored by Buddha Salimani. And uh, yeah, we've just uh, kind of explored a little bit about uh, the purpose of Ibadah, which is a key discussion. And uh, one of the things that uh, we tend to say a lot is... Uh, yeah, uns gaat for Allah hoog maak, subhanallah, bersari. Subhanallah, uh, what the, uh, may Allah forgive everyone who's ever said that uh, and give him the benefit of the right intention. But that is the total opposite. In fact, uh, it's, 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 it's a sin to say that. If we understand now what we, we've just discussed, ons gaat for Allah hoog maak. Yeah, Allah, it's, 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 it's like Allah is waiting for our ibadah so that you can get to the next level. Oh, it's so wrong. But what, one of the things I, I just needed to say when we talk about the reason for our creation, uh, Muhammad Fasih. So yes, we make our normal ibadah, or dhikrullah, or salah, and so on. But Allah has also identified two other areas for us that's even more elevated than those actions, even though it comes with its own barakah and nur, and we benefit from it. But the one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ranks higher than even that is reflection and pondering on the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to seek knowledge in order to improve your understanding of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That is ranked so high that some of the ulama have said that a moment of sincere reflection, some people say a moment, some people say you know, a minute or an hour, it doesn't matter. The point here is that they've tried to communicate to us the importance of tafakkur and pondering on Allah's greatness can be compared. A moment can be equivalent to a complete lifetime of the previous of ibadah, like just making salah and dhikrullah. Just sitting and sincerely reflecting with a heart that's desiring and yearning to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to try and understand. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, that moment, if you put it on a scale, it outweighs all the ibadah of a complete lifetime. So that is the one level. Then there's a level that's even beyond that, Muhammad Fasih. The level beyond that is something that we have, we've been exposed to the, the, the second level of tafakkur, yes, but the third level which we have not given the kind of attention that it requires and it's probably the easiest one to do. And that is to be in service of creation. If you are in service of creation and serving creation, not just humanity, serving creation, the animal life, uh, the plant life, the environment, but especially in our relationship with people, that to be in service, to bring about relief to the poor, to be compassionate when you see people are suffering. Those are the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts above even the other two forms of worship. So it's been explained to us. And these are the different ways when we talk about we have been created 
to make ibada. Ibada is your own normal ibada, but it's also tafakkur and it's also khidma or to be in service of people around us. Obviously, the best form of khidma is khidma towards your parents. Uh, on that note, Pilisari, time for us to take a break, inshallah, and when we come back, we will continue. Stay tuned. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome back to the program Tawheed and the Creation, exploring the book The Essentials of Tawheed with uh, Budasani Mani. Now, uh, before the break, we had uh, spoken about uh, various aspects of the understanding of ourselves and what we are offering in terms of ibadah is for ourselves it's not it's not a gift to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it doesn't affect allah in any way in actual fact it's a form of purification form of growth for ourselves and as basali mentioned there's baraka there's a certain uh, amount of baraka that allah places in every act of worship and and basically when we talk about an act of worship obviously salah is a command of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one of the five pillars of islam however on top of that, there are other forms of ibadah, most certainly as well, through feeding the poor, through looking after uh, family and friends who I need, uh, through being just. These are also ways that one can also earn the favor of Allah, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, to make it easier, you see, often we talk about the Quran uh, as the word where Allah speaks to us directly, and it is. But what we often don't understand Allah's great, great, great mercy to all of humanity was the presence of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as a person who could take the Quran, take what Allah has instructed us to do and advised us to do and actually live it so that we can see from that how to do things. And if we look at the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it was nothing more nothing more than a practical living example of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to us in the Quran. And if we look at his life, you will see all those things that we alluded to about not only making the formal ibadah, but the fatkur and reflection and being in service of creation and in particular humanity. Uh, there are countless examples in the sunnah of how we should actually do it. Not just told, Allah told us what to do, but yeah, Allah sent us a person like us that looks like us, not like us in other ways, but looks like us, uh, was also born, also died, um, married, had children, how we should actually live our lives. So it is, it is actually a problem in the way that we sometimes separate the Quran and the Sunnah. It's almost as if when we talk about Rasulullah sallallahu we're talking about Allah something Allah. else. We're actually talking about the Quran. In fact, the living, the practical implementation of everything that Allah spoke about in the Quran. But certainly, uh, then just 
on that and I think we probably run out of time before we move <laughs> on to any other aspect but uh, just just uh, maybe a final point and that is we understand that again uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us ibadah Allah has given us salah dhikr Allah has given us tahajjud salah as forms of gaining closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, we have the fad salah so that we that is compulsory for us we have the sunnah salah we've got uh, all these other uh, voluntary forms of ibadah now, when the human being is engaged in these acts, and uh, I want to just maybe drive this point home because we did allude to it at the beginning. There's a certain goal and objective to the performance of, for instance, Sada. It's not merely uh, the motions. It's not merely saying, uh, had no clear mark, I'm going to make a bada. In a sense, there's something that we definitely need to derive from it. There's something that Allah... Uh, wants us to take away from our Salah, is it not? Yes. Uh, Muhammad Fasih, we're supposed to experience now the awliya and the great, great, great uh, Sahaba spoke about the sweetness of Ibadah. Um, we must not make the mistake to say the Salah is compulsory and because you can be in service of other people or or you can reflect that it has uh, a more elevated status. If you benefit from doing things at all three levels, and you now do your salah, the, the, the being in service of people and reflecting constantly on the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should in fact take you back to the way you make salah. So you actually... You know, the one impacts on the other, and in turn, that impacts on, on, on and then it's a continuous um, cycle of how the one form of ibadah impacts uh, on the other. And we should, we should ideally not make a distinction between the one and the other, but it's so that we can understand that it shouldn't be, like you've said, what's a common expression uh, that we hear people say? They look at their watch. I'm quickly going to make Maghrib. That very way that they are saying that I am quickly going to make Salah gives an impression of what importance they attach to it. If you want to do something that you really look forward to doing, you never associate haste with it. <laughs> you never associate it as a by the way thing. You, you, in fact, yearn to do that. I, I was going to use another example, or maybe I should just use it, uh, and the listeners, and you will forgive me. An unmarried man who is courting a woman that he is very much in love with this woman, he's not married yet. So uh, the parents said, you can only come on a Wednesday. It's only Thursday, and he can't wait for Wednesday to come. He wants to be there and he's looking at his watch. He can't even sleep at night. He wants to know, is it the next day already so that it can be Wednesday? Do we have that kind of approach of wanting to be in the presence of the one we love and the one who loves us when we talk about Salah? And I include myself in this. No, we are far, far away from it. We see it more as um, a hardship. An obligation that that we must do, we can't get out of it. We're compelled to do it. Therefore, I might as well just do it so that I know it's done. Now, that clearly is a different way from saying 
a person who is looking at his watch and can't wait for the walk to arrive in order to stand in front of his beloved. It's a state that doesn't come easily. Allah created us as human beings and Allah knows who and what we are and what makes us tick. What are the things that will be easier and more difficult? Each one of us, each single person Allah knows intimately and personally. Allah doesn't know the uh, human race as one race only. Allah knows every single person by name and in detail and everything that's important to that particular person. We must try and establish that personal link with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and some of the ways, of course, is to ponder. But what we were told by some of the people who have followed this path, if you want to know whether you are making progress along this path, then check the state of your heart. Do you have a soft, compassionate heart? Do you respond to difficulties of others? How do you? That will give you an idea of the state of your heart. And you don't even have to know a person, but you can look at how people respond to need around you, and you will know what kind of hearts they have. So, yes, um, the only... Uh, uh, they, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for them. Our hearts, I'm not going to go into too much detail because time won't allow, but as you purify your heart, it emits a certain light, a certain amount of nur. Every single person, you emit a certain amount of nur or what people refer to uh, in the English language as an aura. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those people who will have the hearts that the awliya can recognize and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can recognize Amen. as the people with soft and compassionate hearts uh, out there. Uh, Sali, one of the things that we can take away from this is uh, definitely that firstly, again, we've got to completely restructure our thinking in terms of our salah, in terms of our approach to our salah, and then also in terms of our approach to how we perceive our Creator and the fact that Allah is free from need, Allah is free from from uh, any desires that man is trapped by, that man is affected by. And so when we look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we, look, and we need to look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of our understanding and through the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah has uh, made known to us. And obviously, inshallah, in future programs, uh, we will be exploring those sifat and trying to get a better understanding of our Lord, inshallah. Amen. In order to achieve that state of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have to get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala better. How? Through the 20 sifat and the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a powerful way to actually give more sincerity and content to our ibadah, whatever form it takes. Amin, inshallah. May Allah make it a reality for all of us. Amin. Amin. And Bilisari, uh, till uh, we speak again, inshallah, I bid Bilisari, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shukran, Muhammad Fasih, for having me on the show. And then also, uh, if you'd like a copy of the book, The Essentials of Tawheed by Abu Salimani, or the book, The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body, or any other books in the series, we're currently busy with uh, book three. You're welcome to visit www.salimani.co.ca and you'll be able to download a PDF copy of the 
people can be able to follow along with us as we explore the topic, inshallah, I mean, on a Thursday evening. Uh, from myself, Muhammad Fasih Peterson, till I speak to you again, inshallah, I bid you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and have a fantastic evening further. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله